Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. Yes, I'm, I am here. It's another week of joy and exploration here. You're listening to Waking Up in America, Vital Issues, presented by the Golden Hearts Foundation and the Kirkgaard Media Group. I'm Dr. Val Kirkgaard, and in 1984, I had the privilege of running with the Olympic torch. My significant section of the journey was bare street to air conditioning to True Value Hardware down in Santa Fe Springs. But, that makes me, not a but, we erase those. It puts me into the Olympic history and the Olympic lineage, and it's something that once that happens, you don't want to leave, and you, you couldn't if you wanted to. I mean, right now I'm looking at the Olympic rings on the wall. It's a very magical thing, and if you ever want to call me at 310-455-8623 and ask me about Olympic torches and what that's about, I'd be happy to tell you. Because once that torch has been ignited, you can't put the darn thing down. So this is, I do this three years before Waking Up in America starts, and so what happens is I, in the journey, have met other torchbearers that have committed and dedicated their lives to certain conversations, and every one of them is about making a difference on the planet, evolving consciousness, and bringing together communities. So whether you're listening to, um, one of our guests today is um, from Ohio, a brilliant woman, you'll love her, Ann Harding, and she's very generously offered to let me do the directed breath process. Same year I carried the Olympic torch, I also invented an emotional clearing process that actually sped up the transformation of stories within people, I'm going to say maybe 10 to 20 times because I focus on the electromagnetic charge that's blocked in the body rather than the story. Now, Alan G. Hunter is also a guest today, and he will at some point tell you um, about the power of story. So this isn't about... (laughs) getting rid of story. Harry Potter is a great story. There's a lot of great stories that we have all the way from Socrates to the current moment. Unfortunately, the stories that we tell ourselves are usually ones that make us less, that that focus on our suffering and um, deny us opportunity to have a transformed life. And, you know, those are big words, but transformation isn't as difficult as you think it might be. Now, we're blessed to be in the 20th century when we were discussing, 21st century, we were discussing before the show, you know, about all the pressures and things of um, computers and this generation. At the same time that those conversations are occurring, other conversations are occurring that actually allow us to to access our own brilliance, you know, much more rapidly than we ever could before. I'm just one of a group of Olympic torchbearers. When we carried the Olympic torch in 1984, we carried that torch all the way across the United States. Well, actually, we kept the torch and we passed the flame, and that's what Waking Up in America is about. If, if you hear something on this show that makes a difference to you, which you, many of you will, if you'll pass that information on to somebody else, we can create rapid transformation and we can actually win the battle that some feel that we're losing right now that has to do with what's going on in the world. For those of you who think gas prices in America are bad, they're actually um, $9 a gallon in England. So there's a lot of things that are out of hand and out of control, so it's important for us to clear ourselves, to take charge of our own lives, 
and to say how we want the world to be created. And these two people that have been generous enough to join me on the show today are really, really, really doing their part to do all of that. So Sidious Altius Fortius is actually the, the what do you call it, the slogan, the inspiration that, that guides the Olympics, and that means swifter, higher, and stronger. So when you think in terms of lifting your life into swifter, higher, and stronger, you can do it. And we're going to give you access to technologies and points of view that will actually allow you to do that. Our guests reflect the values, and they come from all fields, from internationally known nutritionist J.J. Virgin to taekwondo champion Mary Louise Zeller to the very solar Mr. Larry Hagman. So let your friends know that we're on the air. If they happen to miss the show, you can actually go to our website at wakingupinamerica.com, and you can click into past shows. If you happen to hear a dog barking or a telephone ringing or an angel singing, know that we call in from our homes and offices all over the United States to cause this program. And actually, in the case of Tony Wilkinson, England, and there have been a few other foreign callers, not foreign, living in a foreign place, but definitely of the same heart with us. I think that the thing I'm really up against is the marketing of prescription drugs. And when I see prescription drugs being sold on television by absolutely... All the major companies, they've got these strange names, and then they warn you that you could die from them and all this other stuff. But while they're warning you of that, everybody's smiling. I know that there are ways to achieve what those drugs quotes, and I'm putting quotes around achieve or supposed to achieve for you. I know, and I brought I brought Alan G. Hunter here to join us today, and I brought... Good to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful, Alan. I mean, it's a real pleasure. You want to say something about this? these stories that... Um, we need oh, to know well. your your new book. I'd love to, yes, and I'd like to take up your point about uh, you know the prescription drugs which offer us you know a cure all just at the pop of a pill. Whereas I, I know I think what you suggested earlier is that there are stories we tell ourselves that keep us blocked, but sometimes they're completely bogus stories, stories that we've taken from elsewhere, like a, a prescription drug will solve all your problems, and then we wonder why they don't work. There are other stories available. Great literature, as my book shows, for three and a half thousand years has repeatedly returned to six major archetypes. And, uh, you know, three and a half thousand years of literature, the great literature of our world, uh, doesn't repeat itself in this way by pure chance. Well, you know, Alan, if you've noticed, when you take away a person's bogus stories... Ah, because I would call it what I'm referring to as the bogus story. Yes. That's the one that's ingrained, that they've been taught, that they believe. Then you get that's what right. you're talking about, which would be the heroic story, wouldn't you? I don't know if you call it that or not. but yes, That's a good word for it, the heroic story, which is so different from the ones that we were told when we were asked to sit down, shut up, and not make a noise, you know? <laughs> <laughs> really? Those stories that were drummed into us. So that, so, well, I just want to make sure we get Ann slipped in here. Yeah. as soon as possible. Um, Anne, so you get what Alan's up to, right? I do, and I just, I don't know if this is appropriate to let you know or the audience to know, but I was on an antidepressant a few years ago, and I made the decision to go off it. I realized that when I was off it, you know, I was able to cope, and I also realized that it was not something that I wanted to be on the rest of my life, so I'd rather deal with what's going on inside of me rather than um, relying upon that medicine. Is I've it, been off for a year now. Really? 
Now, see, I didn't even know that. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Alan Hunter. Born in England in 1955, Alan G. Hunter at Alan Hunter, and that's with two L's, by the way, A-L-L-A-N-H-U-N-T-E-R, but the G is still a G. So, net gained all of his degrees at Oxford University. Don't you love the accent? And uh, <laughs> he emerged with a, a doctorate in um, English literature. Now, what I want to say about you, Anne, is Anne's the seeker of the truth. She is, I've been doing the directed process since 1984, and what I discovered in 1984 was that if I asked the right questions, and the person gave me the answers, the authentic answers, not the ones they'd been contemplating and thinking about, that we could actually remove blockages from the electromagnetic field of the body. Now, um, are either one of you understand about how we live in electromagnetic fields, Alan or, or um, Anne? I understand a little about it, but it, perhaps it would be helpful if you said more for, for everyone's um, clarification. So, Anne, do you, do you feel like you'd like to talk about that, or do you want me to? I would like to hear more from your point of view. Okay, so what I, well, first of all, I had a Carolian camera. And have, have either one of you ever seen the effects yeah. of a Carolian camera or what it photographs? Extraordinary, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... photographs the energy fields around the body, which uh, are just astonishing to see how different they are. Exactly. But, and what's uh, interesting is that people actually, physical bodies exist inside of an energy field. And that's what you see beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah. when you see a Carolian camera photograph. Yeah. So... Marvelous things, yeah. It isn't that the body radiates an electromagnetic field. It's that a, a body is contained in an electromagnetic field. That's right, yep. Okay. So once you understand, uh, have, any, have either of you seen the pictures where they'll cut a leaf and then the um, energy field of the leaf still exists even though half of the leaf is gone? Mm, yes, I've seen those, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> have you seen that, Anne? No, I haven't. Okay, well, if if you take a leaf, Anne, and you cut it with a, with a pair of scissors, and you lay it down and you put it, um, you photograph it with a curling camera, the curling camera will take a picture of the half leaf, but it will have the same energy field that the leaf generated before. So that's proof, actually, that the field exists. That's why soldiers have phantom pains. Now, that I've heard of, like, if they maybe lost a leg exactly. in a battle, they'll still be able to feel that leg even exactly. though it's not there. Exactly. Okay. Because it's in the field. So I want everybody just to twist your concept or flip your concept over a bit so that you understand that if we clear the field, we change the body. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, me, I would love to think about things, so I figured out how to clear the field. Now, other people have done it other ways. One of the ones I thought would be really good, Ellen, and um, and would be, I thought it would be really cool if you could get an electromagnetic wand and just sweep <laughs> it over the body and neutralize any blockage. Now, that'd that would be the be epitome. Lovely. That would be marvelous. <laughs> In the meantime, <laughs> while I am doing doing it kind of the old-fashioned way, I kind of feel like this, it's an advancement over traditional therapy because traditional ther- therapy relies on figuring stuff out of, out of a convoluted story and directed breath. The Kirkgaard method actually shows you what's going on. So I'll give you a little demonstration. I've been teasing Alan with this, Anne. 
because he hasn't done this. And I told him that you were going to do it, and he, yeah, I could feel his, I could feel him perking up over the telephone. <laughs> so I understand that your son moved out yesterday. Yes, he did. Now, you would like to deal with some, and what kind of feelings are you having about that? Oh boy, it's he's my youngest, and I just cry and clean. You cry and clean? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like part of me's happy that the mess is going, but more so just intense sadness that he's gone. Okay, got it. So you got your Kleenexes out? I got my whole roll of toilet paper. Okay, very good. We're ready to go. That's an important ingredient, Alan. <laughs> yeah, that's um, an important ingredient. <laughs> so what I want you to do is I want you to um, tell me where you experience that intense sadness in your body or your field. Just let me know where that is. It's in my heart. Uh-huh. Okay, so very good. This sounds like this might be a combination of directed breath and a little Tibetan chanting, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to go into your heart and I want you to tell me the first time you could remember that feeling in your heart, what number comes up. First thing that comes to mind. Four. Uh-huh, and what's happening when you're four? My dad left home. Uh-huh. So I want you to take a really deep breath, and I want you to go into being four years old and having your dad leave home, and I want you to be just incredibly, incredibly sad. And while you do that, I'm going to chant, okay? So take right. a really deep breath and go in there and feel that extreme sadness. Sesh karma. Sesh karma. Sesh karma, 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 sesh karma. Sesh karma. Sesh karma. And what do you experience now? Is the feeling bigger, smaller, different, or neutral? Um, it's kind of different. It's more like a hanging on a clinging. I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. Okay, got it. And where do you experience hanging on and clinging in your body or your field? I actually kind of feel it in my hands, like I'm trying to pull them back. Mm. And when you try to pull them back, what emotion are you actually experiencing as you pull on your son? What are, you, what are you feeling? That's still sadness. I just don't want him to go. Okay, so if you were being your most broken down, pathetic self, <laughs> what would you be saying to him? Please don't leave or something like that? I don't want to lose you. There you go. Perfect. So I want you to take a really deep breath, and I want you to go into, I don't want to lose you, and I want you to hold your breath as long as you can, and I want you to suffer as much as you possibly can. 
Now, the reason I have her do that, Ellen, that's because in our society we're told not to feel our feelings. That's right, yeah. And I used to think you had to make a lot of noise to make this work. But you don't. You just have to inside of your own head. And listeners, by the way, please feel free to take this on. You can't harm yourself with it. You may not be able to get to all the different places that I can go with somebody, but you can actually explode the little memory capsule. What's there now? What's there now, Ann? Is the feeling bigger, smaller, different, or neutral? Grab that toilet paper, woman. <laughs> I just feel like they're already gone. Uh-huh. Do you feel like trapped or alone or anything like that? Or what's the emotion here? I feel helpless. Uh-huh. I want you to back up one frame before helpless. And I want you to tell me what emotion you were experiencing in the frame before helpless. What did you get? I feel empty. Uh huh. Now I want you to back up one frame before empty and tell me what you get. Make it up. Um. All right, what pops in my head is embarrassed. There you go. Take a really deep breath and go into embarrassed and hold your breath as long as you can. So Ellen is an observer. Yeah. One of the reasons that I back that up yeah. is because the the previous two emotions were actually like reactions to the yeah. embarrassment. Yeah. Okay, so the embarrassment is where the energy was. Could you feel emptiness doesn't have the same kind of emotional charge as embarrassment? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's so you can back yourself up because yeah. literally it's like tape that runs, yeah. videotape that runs. And I'm so enjoying being able to show this to you today because I know you'll use it well. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I can hear your wheels clicking. Yeah. (laughs) Because you don't normally get a chance to be inside of a human being's generosity to this level. Yeah, this is remarkable. And you're just precious. I so thank you for it. You're going to make something available to listeners that wasn't available before you spoke. So in that embarrass see and it doesn't in this case, when she releases her embarrassment, Ellen, yeah. her story becomes more heroic. Yes. Okay, can you yeah. get that? So we're living in these bland bunches of doo doo poo poo stories <laughs> about ourselves. And when Kelly gets Kelly what can I tell tell you, Anne? When Anne gets done, um, you'll hear that she speaks differently. 
So, do you have any pressure, tension, or awareness in your body or your field, then? I, I notice I'm still, like, covering my face, even though I'm not feeling the embarrassment. There's still something there that I'm hiding from, I okay. guess. Okay, so would it be shame? Or something else is fine. How old are you? First number. I'm still going to say four. Uh huh. So, what's the emotion? I don't know if this would be a... What popped in was like disbelief. So shock. You're shocked. Yeah. So what happened? Um, how did you find out about it? Wow, I don't know. I've never thought of that question before. Did he come in and say, Mom, I'm moving out, or how did it work? With my youngest son? Uh-huh. Well, I've known for a while that he was going to do it, um, I guess I didn't believe it would happen. Uh-huh. So what would you say the emotion is then disbelief? There's shock in here. Do you understand? So I want you to take a really deep breath, and I want you to go into that sense of disbelief and shock. He's actually done it. And you're actually in the house without your son. For the first time in how many years? I've lived here for 29 years. And he's been there how long? 22 years. So for 22 years, this young man has been there, and now he's gone. It seems to me that there would be some kind of immense loss or something like that combined with this. Is there or not? Um, well, you know I'm putting my house up for sale and moving after living here for 29 years. And just my family's gone. Mm. So I want you to take a really deep breath, and I want you to go into how your family's gone, and I want you to really, 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 really suffer and hold your breath as long as you can. It's interesting, Alan. I had a situation where I used to have a roommate like, oh, I'm going to say 25 years ago. And my roommate was going to move to England. And Mm -hmm. so she told me to to get, you know, either a roommate to live there or that I needed to move someplace else so she was going to be gone. And we had this great time and stuff. Well, I did. I went on and I got myself a new place to live and I came home and told her. And it flipped her into into abandonment. Okay, even though she was the one that was leaving, yep, this is yep. this stuff is not logical necessarily. No, no, it's, it's uh, firmly rooted in past emotions and uncleared energy, as you say. Do you know that? Did, did you ever hear that Olivia Newton-John song that said, "Please, Mister, please don't play B seventeen"? <laughs> yes, I know. It. Okay, because that's because the song B seventeen yeah. on the jukebox was a trigger that kept hit every time she'd hear it, she'd go back to that old place. So what happens is every time we're triggered, we go back to an old place. As you can see, this is not all about about Anne's son leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
out. This is, this is, as you say, a trigger, which is digging up stuff that is way, way older and way deeper than that. Going back to the age of four sounds about right, actually. That sense of abandonment when a father disappears like that, um, that's very deep. Let me ask you a question, both of you. Yeah. I, are either of you into past lives? I am. You are? Right. What about you, Ellen? Oh, yes. Very interesting thing. Uh, I read Brian Weiss, of course. Um, that was what I was trying to remember this morning, Many Lives, Many Masters. Many Lives, Many Masters. Fascinating. I mean, there's a, an MD who was the ultimate skeptic who had so much evidence in front of him, he had to say, gosh, you know, my colleagues laugh at me, but this is too big to ignore. <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> totally impressive. I was supposed to have him on my television show, and he sent me his book. Oh, that's not quite the same. <laughs> and, no, they, people send me their books, as you know, before I interview them, right? Yeah. And then he couldn't come. At the time, the, the um, California Board of Behavioral Sciences had me on trial. Oh. Do you know why they had me on trial? That would shock me. Why were they, why were they putting you on trial? For doing past life regressions. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh. So... Well, you see, if you went to, if you went to any Buddhist anywhere or any part of, of Tibet, there would not be a raised eyebrow at all. They're absolutely so sure I'm, that they're past lives. I'm standing in the courthouse, right? I've got my friend yeah. who's an attorney. By the way, it normally costs a hundred thousand dollars to defend yourself when something Good like great. this happens. Good so I'm great. standing in the courthouse. I'm standing in front of the judge, and I said, "It would really be nice if you could actually just kind of like put me in a time capsule and then wake up when California catches up." <laughs> <laughs> and what she said to me was, she looked at me and she said, "Dear, I'm trying to do that." So I knew I had a friend in the judge. Okay, and this was a process. They investigated me for seven years. They did all of this kind of wow. stuff. So wow. what happened was Brian Weiss sent me his book. Yeah. And and I read his book, okay? And I thought, he's a psychiatrist. I started doing past life regressions because the psychiatrist brought out the book Bridie Murphy, like when I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. So I was supposed to go to the courthouse for sentencing, right? Yeah. I get to the courthouse and I take the book with me. And I said, so excuse me, why am I on trial when this man is a psychiatrist and this is a best-selling book and I did... I read Bridie Murphy when I was a kid, and you know what the judge said? Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of seven years of heck. So, Good grief, though. Seven years. Uh, seven years of investigation uh, and defamation of character because I was doing past life regressions. So, you know, what can I tell you? What we're doing here is we're really putting our guts on the line, all of us, because... Anne's just let you know that she believes in, not only believes in him, she's experienced him. And part of what she's going through may even be related to a past life. Do you have any sense of that at all or not, Anne? I don't know. Um, not with today's. Last week's, definitely. Um. Well, I was working with a woman this morning, Anne, that um, feels like she's being strangled all the time. Guess what we did? We went, we went to a past life where she was being strangled. She had this huge energy rush because when that, that memory and that energy that's attached to strangling was removed from her body, her whole body shifted, well, from her field. So I really hope 
everybody here is just getting possibility. You don't have to agree with us or disagree with us, but you can you can do what we're doing here, and you can conceive of the possibility. Alan will tell you that no matter what happens, it's a good story anyway. It's certainly a heroic story, wouldn't you say, Alan? Yes. Oh, definitely heroic, definitely heroic. And, you know, in some senses, I'm sure there are a few people listening in who say, oh, past life regression, um, and, and, uh, and, and they're turning up their noses. But maybe one has to be aware of the fact that whatever we call it, it works. And uh, that's exactly what I said to the judge. Yeah. I said, it's symbology. You're not, you don't have Jung on trial here. Mm-hmm. I said, it doesn't matter whether it is real or not. If it represents what a person is suffering, then why not use it? Precisely. You know, precisely. And I'm going to tell you, we, we should be using something else, too. Actually, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going into diamond alignment right now. And I thank Joy for this conversation. She took absolutely years developing this. Uh, there are people that don't feel this at all, and there are other people that really feel it. And what I'm telling you is you'll actually notice a shift in the energy of the show and even possibly of yourself after we get done with the diamond alignment. So if you'd take it away, please. We're on the air right now with Alan G. Hunter and Ann Harding, and we're, we've got a really interesting conversation going on. ...than ever before in history. Yet it is easy to get lost in the confusion and chaos of such an accelerated world. How do we stay connected and aligned with the unlimited potential that lies within us and soar in these exciting yet challenging times? Diamond Alignment, a sacred technology for the 21st century, offers high-speed connection and alignment with this divine power within, both convenient and profound. The six-minute multi-sensory diamond experience delivered via the internet clears your mind, relaxes your body, and creates inner peace no matter what is going on around you. The diamond alignment experience effortlessly keeps you charged with joy and equanimity and greater focus and clarity throughout your day. Experience the expansive energy of diamond alignment. You activate the unlimited wealth and potential within you. You know, I can feel my molecules realigning when that happens. Um, Thank you, Joy. Uh, Visit our website at wakingupinamerica.com, and you'll actually see the diamond alignment insignia on the site. If you click on that, you can get yourself a free two-minute demonstration of it. And if you click onto it and leave it on, it'll actually just, the, the transmission will just keep playing. I really believe it's a divine transmission. I've done this in the middle of the night on occasion. I've done this when I'm challenged and I just notice that my energy shifts with it. Um, I'm going to be asking Ellen and Anne their experience, but I want to thank the people that sponsor Waking Up in America, and I don't want to do the regular quarter-hour commercial, so I'm actually going to just give you a list of the people right now that 
that sponsor our show and make this conversation possible, I'd like to invite you to use Stardoves at 904-460-8083. And the reason that you would want to use these people is they have a mailing list of a million people just like you that if you want to let them know about some idea you have or some product that you have available, you can be part of Stardust. And when you go there, tell Ra that I sent you. And that's his, um, he's just a remarkable human being, and he's building the list all the time. But right now there's a million people on it, and the prices are incredibly easy and affordable, so ask him for one of his package deals. His number again is 904-460-8083. Tired of the rat race? Wherever you are, go to the sunny, beautiful beaches of San Pancho, Mexico, which are 45 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta if you drive like I do. And um, Steve and Diana there will take care of you. They're little, charming little bungalows, like old Mexico. The beach is just really, really beautiful. The town makes you think of what the world was like 40 or 50 years ago. And to talk to Roberta's bungalow and um, tell them that that you heard about it on Waking Up in America, and they'll actually give you a discount. Their telephone number is 971-239-4120. That's 971-239-4120. And, uh, yeah, it's true. You can actually call them. That's a U.S. number that goes straight through to Mexico, so you don't have to worry about all those foreign connections. If you want to know more about Monavi or you want to know more about uh, MaxGXL, or you want to know more about WLX. These are breakthrough technologies that have to do with life extension in the human body. And you can call toll-free 866-604-9966 to find out more about that. Once again, 866-604-9966. And by the way, these are the products that are used by a, by um, World Taekwondo Champion Mary Louise Zeller at the age of 65. She's actually, um, she competes and she wins. <laughs> so whatever you may think about the evolution of consciousness or the evolution of the human body, we here at Waking Up in America have been fortunate enough to have Brilliant, brilliant stuff that will work for you. So I want to just say thank you, Diamond Alignment. Thank you. We're on the air with Alan G. Harding and... Isn't that interesting? Alan G. Harding and Ann Harding. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) Alan Hunter, is it? Oh, Hunter, I'm sorry. I turned Harding Harding into a hunter. But it is interesting that you both have the, the, uh, the same first letter on your names and that you're both here being very generous with us. Now, I want to know, Anne, now when you think about your son leaving home, do you have any pressure, tension, or awareness in your body or your field? She's searching right now. I see she's got her magnifying glass out. To be honest with you, I've... You know, you asked me if I felt like this was past life. Yep. And what keeps popping up for me is I feel like this feeling, this feeling of loss has been with me for eons. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like maybe through all of my hard, hard past lives, it's brought me to the point of feeling and recognizing a separation between me and my father, which Mm. to me is symbolic. 
and I don't know how to go home. Say more about that. I mean, just... You mean any, home to unity or community or... Unity, yeah. So when you think about being reunited in unity with community, oh gosh, we're rhyming here, um, where do you have a pressure, tension, or awareness in your body or your field? Where do you experience that sense of separation? I just feel like there's me and then there's... Everyone else? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Me, everyone else, the universe, everything else. So you feel separated. So is that separation through loneliness or despair or what would be the emotion that's separating you? It brings up sadness still. Uh-huh. So I want you to take a really deep breath, and I want you to go into that sadness, and I want you to hold your breath as long as you can and be as sad as possible. And, Alan, I'm wondering, while this is going on, is anything going on for you as you listen to her conversation and the path she's taking? Yes, well, one, the first thing I have to say is that Anne has been just amazingly courageous and generous to... Uh, to be on the air with this because it's it's sparking so many thoughts for me, for my own my own recurrent uh, ills, as it were. That uh, we all have a few of these. Everybody does. And That's what human every, is. Everybody does. That, that's right. That's part of the the human condition. And that when we clear that energy, um, it gives us so much more life than we believed possible. As a result, we change the story that we live, whereas previously we were imprisoned by it, and now we can choose a different story. <laughs> I was trying to remember exactly how the phrase goes, but it has something about, you know, you're going to end up going in the direction you're headed. <laughs> you know, the, old, <laughs> the story has you in a particular direction. In this case, the story is one of separation and loss. Yeah. So that story just keeps recreating itself. Yes. Now, does this, what 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 Anna's going through here, is, does this fit one of your um, prototypes? Well, well, yes, because uh, the story we tell ourselves may be a, a very true story, but the whole business changes when we realize that we don't have to react the way that we thought we had to react. So at the age of four, um, and would have been devastated, I think, uh, about the loss of... Yeah, her anybody father. would be. Anybody would be. It would be almost impossible not to be feeling severely abandoned. And yet that story may not be the true story because um, now her son at the age of 22 is, is leaving home. And whilst that's a sad moment, it can also be a triumphant moment, a sense of, you know, this young man is on his way in the world and he's leaving it's a planned leaving not like the father who just walked out by the sound of it it's uh, something that's been negotiated she's she's moving into a different space that's always scary but it doesn't mean that it's negative you know it's it interesting because if if you hadn't had the courage to do this today and you could have lived in this story and these feelings mm-hmm. and you can see how fast these feelings move and when they're addressed and expressed, 
and they're neutralized. <coughs> so where are you now? Well, that was interesting uh, what Alan said because um, what I didn't look at it from the point of view of this is, you know, it's it's deliberate now. My son has set a goal and he's acting upon that goal. And good job, Mom. Very good job. Very good job, Mom. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the past story was, I mean, I don't know. I, at four, I don't remember if, you know, it was deliberate, you know, when my dad left. Um, well, most kids, it's their, they think it's their fault. Yes. Just for starters, when they're four years old, they think they made their parent go away. Did you by any chance? Um, I did. I feel like we kind of really cleared that one last week um, with the work you and I did. Yeah, but for the listener. For the you, listener? Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like it was my fault. I felt like um, if I would have been more perfect, um, what could I have done differently? You know, maybe if I would have been more quiet or more obedient. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we get carried around with. There was this little kid. His dad was talking to him, and I was listening to him. The father was really incredible. And the the little boy had done something that he knew he shouldn't have done. And the father said to the little boy, I, he, I'm guessing he was close to the same age, he said to the, the, the child, he said, so, okay, so you did do X, Y, and Z. What do you think your punishment should be? And the little boy looked at his father, and he said, I think you should cut my arms and legs off not give me any more cookies and throw me in the bedroom closet and keep me in the dark. This was at four. It's <laughs> like, oh, my God. Most murderers are out of jail within, like, 15 years or so, but humanity is at four years old. This kid thought he should have his arms and legs. I was, like, flabbergasted. No cookies. I liked the no cookies on the part of the arms and legs missing and um, being in the closet in the dark. And we're, in a sense, we can laugh about it now, but that's what a lot of people are doing for themselves. They're putting themselves into that kind of a story. That's why I think your work is so powerful, Alan. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we have a choice as to whether we want to play ourselves the story of the victim, which at the age of four, of course, we feel we're a victim because everyone's so much bigger than we are. Or we can look at the story that Anne is relating to us and see it as a story actually of triumph. You know, her son is is taking his own way in a controlled fashion and is doing so um, in a way that shows that there is substantial love between mother and son. Goodness me, it's painful. Of course it is. But that's what parenting is about. It's about launching the child as an independent entity and feeling the sorrow of that change. It doesn't mean he's never coming back. It means that he's much more likely to come back now that he's he's in charge of his own existence. So this could be seen not as a not as a disaster, but as a considerable victory in, in life's major struggle, the separation of mother and child. See what I mean? Don't you just love having a good storyteller around? <laughs> now, he's telling the heroic story from the heart, and that's what I love to do, too. And that's actually where, to our listeners, that's where people evolve to when they 
when they strip off the um, guilt-ridden false story. You know, we could talk about the ego here, I suppose. If you read Course in Miracles or anything of that nature, I think the Course in Miracles is one of the best identifiers of ego. If you like Eckhart Tolle's work, as Oprah Winfrey certainly did, you'll find it's called The Pain Body. And as we were describing in the conversation of um, all kinds of things being triggered, such as Please, Mr. Please Don't Play B-17 by Olivia Newton-John, yes, I did love that song, and I did cry with it when you sang it. Um, Because at that time, I had involuntary crying whether I wanted it or not. I I was not bigger than my pain body. And Eckhart Tolle talks about that in his book. And the directed breath Kirkgaard method process actually diffuses the pain body. So that what happens is all these incidences, let's say that you have ten incidences of abandonment in your life, or five, not that they were true, but you perceived it that way, and something like her son leaving triggers them. It doesn't trigger. It It isn't just her son leaving. It's every other incident that felt like abandonment comes crashing down on her in a moment. That's exactly it. The whole thing is pulled in, and that's what Tolly is referring to when he talks about the pain body. So this process actually erases the power of the pain body. When you take pain out, all there's left is love. Can I ask Alan a question? Go for it. Go right ahead, yeah. Okay, Alan, you know, and when I listen to your your story and a new way of telling the story, um, and this is a question basically I kind of had when I was reading the Eckhart Tolle material too was, do you just write over top of the crap? I mean, or do you, or do you recommend <laughs> feeling the crap, releasing the crap, and then writing a new story? Well, I think the thing to do is to recognize that it's only crap and it's not necessarily anything to do with you. You don't have to associate with it. Um, there are things come and things go and... Uh, we have some control as to whether we're going to let them dominate us and what our reactions will be, as long as we're aware that we have choices in our reactions. Well, the more you, the more you do what you were talking about, the more we bob to the surface. Yes. You know what I was thinking? Because you're English. I come from an English background. <laughs> we have a legacy of things that English people think. Yes. So we live in a conversation, um, perhaps I don't know if calling in English is the right thing, it's probably a better word for it, but I remember that my family was about being patient, standing in line, and waiting to cash in their coupons. Oh, yes. Okay? Oh, yes. So there was a whole cultural conversation about not having enough, mm-hmm. being creative, yeah. um, overcoming that. I remember that they dyed their legs with coffee so they didn't because they didn't have stockings. <laughs> that was that was what they did. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay. So that conversation gets passed down through the family. Each person that's listening to this should take a look and see what conversation was actually a family conversation and you don't have to have it. Yes. But it's a habit. The fact that it, the fact that it was their their reality doesn't mean that it was actual reality or that you have to accept it. Now, you know what pogrom mentality is, right? Yes. Yeah. Would you tell our listeners? About pogrom mentality? Uh-huh. Well, um, pogroms are about um, inflicting pain on a small bunch of people who are reckoned to be the bad guys. That's my understanding of pogrom mentality.
philosophy. Is that what you are? What I was actually thinking of when I thought of it was what what the Jewish community had to go through during the war when they were put into yeah. ghettos. Right, yes. And inside the ghettos, it was a different world. That Everything that they had to do was like to struggle, and they didn't have enough of anything, and a lot of them had been put in prison camps by the end of the war. And so a sort of depression mentality. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It would be it would be similar to depression mentality in our country, yeah. Yeah. and they wouldn't talk about it either. That's right. That's okay, right. and that was the big thing. So we're trained. We are actually, it's an ingrained command to not talk about it, to have, ha-ha, here's one for you, a stiff upper lip. There we go, yeah. Well, and, very British and, thing. In my case, growing up as a four-year-old, when my father left and my mother and father they divorced, we were told, well, my father died six months after the divorce, which uh, kind of made a double win. By the way, mine dead, too, just so yeah. you know. That's part of our relationship, but, Anne. But right after my dad died, we were never to tell anybody that my parents divorced. We were only to tell them that my father died. Uh, and uh, And I remember when my father died... And I was crying to my mother because I I wanted my dad back, and she told me, and I don't I don't hold this against my mom. I worked on this one. She told me to stop crying. There was nothing she could do about it. So for forty years, I never really cried over it. And that's what I've been doing here lately is releasing. At least that's what it feels like. Is I'm finally letting this up and out that's been repressed inside of me for forty some years. And you know what's really interesting here is the the human body is designed to cycle at something like 220,000 cycles per second. The average body is cycling at about 20,000 cycles. And this is the reason why the frequency is so low. Reality becomes extremely different when your cycling rate is higher. You have options and opportunities that are not visible. It's like trying to look to a distant island from a sailboat or from the bottom of the sea. If you're trying to look from the bottom of the sea, you're going to see the water, you're going to see the things in the water, you're going to be surrounded by all of this stuff, and the island is still over there. If you're 20 or 30 feet higher and you sit in your boat and you look across the island, you see exactly where to row. It's a good analogy. It works well, yeah. Well, I hope to be able to write a new story. (laughs) You have already started. (laughs) You have already started. (laughs) You have already created uh, a new story by the things you've said. And that's admirable. And notice what a good crier she is. So any of you that think that crying is, like, not popular or shouldn't be done or something like that, there's there's energy cathexis, which is what Freud was talking about, and catharsis. Cathexis is when you hold on to the energy in the first place. For instance, like, and shock. Um, or the incident when her, her father, she finds out her father is dead, that's a cathexis. What she's doing right now is catharting. And when you cathart, or when you cry genuinely, I don't mean alligator tears here, but when you have a genuine release of energy, you'll find that your body feels lighter. You'll actually notice that you view things, um, and you have the capacity to say and do things that you couldn't say or do before, or you have the capacity to be quiet when you couldn't keep your mouth shut before. Whatever that is, you'll find yourself naturally doing a new reaction <clears throat> or a new action. Actually, the, the goal here is to, to respond rather than to react. So if you notice yourself like a slingshot reacting to things, 
you you can use that as a judgment that for yourself that something's blocked there. If you have if you find yourself into wanting antidepressive materials, actually find out why you're mad usually. And when you suppress anger, it usually turns into depression. And by the way, some of this is just pure, plain biochemistry. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Alan, but these, these products that I mentioned at the half hour, yeah. the Monavie and the Max GXL products, they alter your biochemistry. And I can give those products to somebody that's absolutely feeling miserable and the circumstances of their life may change. But the reality of the situation is that their emotional content will go up and they'll be way more resilient because their hormones are balanced. And so a lot of what is being pill-popped here has to do with it's actually making it worse. Yes. Yes. Because it's actually upsetting the biochemistry. Now, are you doing any seminars or anything like that? Or I Uh, I know you're a university professor. I'm so impressed. Oh, well, don't be. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of people are university professors. Yes, I'm, I'm doing workshops and uh, readings. and uh, Where do you do that? Uh, the one that I most recently did was at Curry College, where I work, um, and uh, that was on using the power of the archetypes within you, which is very much to the point of what we're talking about here, that we have different stories, these six archetypes that exist within us. Well, could you just quickly mention them and just to tease them so they'll go buy your book sure, and say I'll, after I'll, no more? I'll tease and, and hope that everyone will buy um, there are six archetypes that we can choose to live at any time, and they are as follows. The innocent, the orphan, and this is a progression in a sense of awareness. Um, beyond the orphan is what I call the pilgrim. And the next stage is the warrior lover, the person who can be decisive and yet be kind. And when we've mastered that, we become what could be called the monarch, the balance of the ruling party, king and queen together, male and female. And when we get that right, we can indeed be leaders by inspiration rather than by direction. And that is when we become magicians. And sometimes we can become magicians just by being who we are at moments of authenticity. In fact, that's what Anne has given us today. She has allowed herself in front of us, you know, to be very, very sad, to weep, to be absolutely honest. And she's been an inspiration for how any of us can change. And the big thing that Anne's brought to us today, just the the, the huge gift she's given us, is that even though she may may feel at times like the victim, that's the orphan stage, the person who's lost, and she was figuratively and actually an orphan, what she's brought to us today is courage and love. And courage and love is what the warrior lover does. And that's, that's a pretty elevated place to, to live from. It's not possible to live there 24 hours a day, but um, gosh, it's very inspiring to see it happen. So thank you, Anne. You've, you've yeah, really, Anne, thank you. And oh, thank you. You guys, I want you to hop over to Amazon.com and pick up Stories We Need to Know, Reading Your Life Path in Literature by Alan, A-L-L-A-N-G. Hunter, and then what I want you to do is just kind of like blow in a kiss. Uh, <laughs> I think a kiss is coming, don't you? So we're gonna we're gonna blow her a kiss, and we're gonna say this program has been brought to you by the Golden Hearts Foundation and Kirkguard Media 
our radio partners, ConingCompany.com, Mona V, Max GXL, Dr. James Murphy and Memoriam, Nathan Jett, Rich Kepler, and Jeff Spinard, and the team at Voice America. And that goes for you too, you little cutie, Harry, you. And to Ben Wigan for our theme music, Almost Ordinary People. And next week, invite a friend to listen. And you can write me at Val at WakingUpInAmerica.com. And remember, Sidious Altius Fortius. Hey, that's the way we torchbearers talk. Time you spoke them We're almost ordinary people With extraordinary plans Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com.